This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. All right, Tom Vanesky, thanks for coming on. Um, for the sake of spontaneity, who you and I just had a, a very short email exchange, and I thought it'd be um, uh, good to just have you on because um, it sounded like we shared some of the same concerns, but I know very little about you, so we'll get to know each other in the throughout the course of the, the podcast, um, which I look forward to. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. And you're right, we do share the, the same concerns. And I felt compelled to reach out to you after reading some of the things that you wrote. And I agree, agree with you 100%. Uh, I live in Northeastern Pennsylvania on a farm. And I grew up in PA hunted all over the state. We have a hunting camp in the southwestern part of the state. Deer, turkey, uh, small game, you name it. I, I've done it here in PA and love all of it. And I've been an outdoors writer since uh, 2000. I write for some statewide magazines. Some uh, I do freelance for some newspapers. I write for some national magazines, uh, Hook and Barrel and a few others. So it's a kind of a dream come true, I guess you could say, to not only love hunting and love the outdoors, but be able to to write about it and, and share that passion that way as well. Uh, and we so live that, on a farm. I farm as, as well as a, another part of my income, and that's uh, that's about the gist of it. So the that the farm and and the writing between the two of those activities that the farming and, and writing that's how you pay the bills yeah yeah add them together sometimes one is better than the other <laughs> depends on the weather for farming obviously but uh yeah i i'm i i love doing both and i'm thankful to be able to do both oh uh, yeah that sounds like a pretty um tra- tra- tranquil existence to me um, that's a good way to put it yeah i like tranquil uh so the farm you hunt on the farm it, i get asked that all the time and the answer is no there's great hunting on the farm we have big bucks we have fields of soybean and corn big bucks rabbits you know it's loaded with game here but I got to get away of away from here to actually enjoy hunting. Because if I hunt on the farm, I think to myself, I should be down in the barn getting this job done. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you know, I yeah, I could walk out in the fields behind the house here and have a chance at a dandy buck, uh, but I don't do that because I want to enjoy my hunt and get away. I use hunting as an escape. And I can't escape if I'm hunting where I work. So who does hunt the farm? Uh, some neighbors do. Um, Man, you're a saintly fellow. Like you let the neighbors <laughs> hunt it, but you don't hunt it. Yeah, it's I. 
sometimes I question it myself, but uh, I, I've tried to hunt it. I just can't. I just can't, can't relax. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's I, yeah. I could go out and kill something out my back door. That's not what it's about for me. That's not entirely what it's about. I gotta unwind, relax, and get away, and and hopefully kill something while I do it. But it's all those things put together that makes hunting special for me. So no, I, I don't, don't hunt on my farm. So, you know, this is probably strain credulity a little bit, but I have told friends of mine that if I just in casual conversations, that if I was some kind of a land baron, if I had a massive amount of property that I would, I would probably let other people hunt, hunt it. I wouldn't hunt it. And I would go hunt somewhere else. Not because it would stress me out, just because it'd be like a way to give back. I don't know. And then I could like, I wouldn't get spoiled, you know, like I was still yeah. out there mixing it up with the common man. on public. You're land. right. You're right. You know, one of the uh, people that hunt here, it's a father and son, they bring their beagle and they hunt rabbits and they are thrilled. They are so thankful. They love it. They do great. And that makes me happy. Yeah, that, that, that's you know I, I I'm glad to see that I'm glad I could make that possible for them. Sure. So, you 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 how far a drive is it to these areas that you hunt? Uh, we have a hunting cabin in the southwestern part of the state. It's about a three-hour drive from here. Okay. Uh, and that is public land hunting, private land hunting, some of each. Some of each, some of each. The U.S. Army Corps uh, has a dam out there, and all the floodplain is enrolled in the Game Commission's uh, public access program. Okay. It's quite a bit of land, so it's a little bit of each out there. Uh, you guys have some deeded around the cabin as well? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, you in your email you express some frustration with things that, have, that are going on. What's what's the Pennsylvania? Is it fish and game or what's the what do they call what are they called? We are the only state in the nation to have separate game and fish agencies. Oh. So this is the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Okay. They're, they're strictly game. Yeah, and so th some things have changed there that you're not real stoked about, I take it. Yeah, they, uh, th they've they taken this uh, path, I guess you could call it. Where, well, let me rephrase that. They've created a, a buzzword called opportunity. They, they, the agency believes that they need to do whatever they can to increase or expand opportunity. And that is the key to getting more people involved in hunting is give them opportunity. And some of the things they've done to increase opportunity for 60, over 60 years, our rifle deer season started on the Monday after Thanksgiving. Oh. It's a longstanding tradition and it gave, Camp hunting is a big thing in Pennsylvania. Having that weekend after Thanksgiving allowed hunters to spend time with their families on Thanksgiving and do what they had to do Friday, head to camp for the weekend, 
get things ready, enjoy the camp atmosphere, sight in rifles, check on stands, whatever you want to do. It was a relaxing. That's interesting. So it's like after the rut or as yeah. the rut is winding down. Yeah. Yeah. You might get a little bit, but uh, primarily it's after the rut. Is it two weeks? The rifle season's two weeks. Okay. Yeah, it's two weeks. And uh, in 2019, they did away with the Monday opener, changed it to the first Saturday after Thanksgiving. And that really upset a lot of people, myself included, because what you have now is uh, Thanksgiving Day with your family, get up Friday, pack, get to camp get to bed Friday night, go hunting Saturday. It's a very quick turnaround. And it took away a lot of the, not only the tradition, but the atmosphere of what deer hunting was about in Pennsylvania. The oh. camaraderie of the camps and, and uh, uh, you know, people, some people say, well, you just want to go to camp to drink beer, blah, blah, blah. That, that, that's, that, that's, not what it's about. There was all, growing up in Michigan, that was there were that was like the source of a, a lot of humor that that notion that that's what went on in deer at deer camp. And, yeah, and believe you me, I've been to some deer camps where that was the, the case. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I don't deny that that doesn't that you know that's that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. But that's not, at least for me and a lot of people I know, that's not the sole reason why we go to camp. Yeah, I'll have a cold beer at the end of the day, but I'm there to enjoy hunting and camp camp life, first and foremost. Right. Uh, so wait a minute, how did cha it change from Saturday to Monday? Or from no, Monday from to, Monday, Monday to, to Saturday. Saturday. Correct. So how does that affect deer hunting culture? You lose the, a lot of people, most of the deer camps in Pennsylvania are in the northern half of the state. Okay. And people have to travel to, to their camps. So when you took away that whole weekend prior to Monday, when you took away that whole weekend, you created a crunch where you have Thanksgiving then you have a quick turnaround to Friday, leave for camp, make your two, three, four hour drive, what have you, open up your camp, get things ready, hunt the next day. Okay. It's just more stressful. It's stressful. It's stressful. Okay. And it, it really backfired on the agency. They did it. Uh, they did it under the guise of, well, if we start the season on a Saturday, more kids can hunt. People that have to work Monday don't have to take off work. They can hunt, this and that. So it's been in place for three years. And in the three years that it, this has been in place, resident adult license sales and resident youth license sales have both declined. So it, oh, it had the opposite effect they wanted? It did, based on license sales. Oh. And, huh. and that's because people couldn't enjoy their camps. They just said, it's not worth it. It's too much of a rush. You know, Why don't they just go the second weekend then? 
to their camps. Yeah. Because the, the, well, that was the question that I had for the game commission. If you're concerned about people that can't hunt the first day of deer, cause it's on a Monday, why don't you just promote that first Saturday of the season and they can hunt then? They're, they're, you know, you understand what I mean? that They could go that first Saturday rather than do away with the Monday opener. People that couldn't hunt it could go that first Saturday after the Monday opener. Uh, yeah. Six, five, five days later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the thing is with, Everybody wants to, to hunt opening day. At least that's the belief. The opening day is your best chance to, to get something, what have you. But everybody with the camp interests involved, everybody wanted to enjoy camp. And if you, like, like you just mentioned about just go that first weekend, we still have that crunch where you work all day Friday, drive Friday night to your camp, boom, you're there Saturday hunt. You don't have that time to relax, to unwind, to get it's if you haven't seen Pennsylvania camps, it's kind of hard to envision. But if you picture a small town, everybody knows everybody. You walk to your neighbor's house. Hey, how you doing? Talk on the porch. That's what camp life is like. Yeah, real homey atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And you, you lost that. Now it's just a place where you go, sleep, hunt, go home. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, if this is the, I, I have to say, if this is the biggest struggle that Pennsylvanians are having with their hunting, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I'm, feel, I'm feeling pretty good about the status of hunting in Pennsylvania. Oh, it, it's, it's not, it's not. Uh, when it comes to deer, I mean, there's issues special to deer, turkey, what have you. Uh, but everything is under this push for opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, but in that one, it didn't even provide opportunity. No, it, based on license sales, they they lost. They they lost on that. At a time where license sales were going up for most states because of COVID. True, true. They 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 did. The first year they had this license sales drop, 2019. 2020 license sales picked up, and then in 21 they dropped again. Okay to a level that was below where they were prior to this change. Okay. Like as somebody that centers their life around hunting, like I just can't imagine that like being the arbiter arbitrating factor as to whether or not I hunt, but it's got, you have, you have to have like a lack, like a kind of a lackluster interest level of interest can't be terribly important to you if the day it opens dictates whether you decide to go that year or not you know well i i understand what you're saying but also the same could be said for the very people 
that the game commission was trying to attract to the sport by opening it on a Saturday. Yeah. yeah. If it doesn't mean enough to you that you're not willing to use a vacation day and get off work or take your kids out of school for a day. And bear in mind, most schools around here have the first day, first Monday of deer season off anyway. Okay. Wow. But if you can't commit. Because to, it's deer season or because, because it's, it's other, deer season. Okay. Because it's deer season. Okay. But uh, I was going to say that that's only one of the changes and it's being fought by a lot of hunters. There's a group that organized to fight this legislators uh, actually had a special hearing on this issue with the game commission, the public hearing on it. So it was, it was a big deal. And Uh it still is, but it's only one of the changes that was made to increase opportunity, which they thought would be the magic bullet to saving hunting and, and getting more hunters involved in the sport. Uh-huh. What were some of the others? Uh, they expanded the archery season by an extra two weeks. So it encompasses the entire rut, uh, October 2nd to November 13th, I believe is what it was last year. Uh, they allowed crossbows to be used by any hunter before it was just disabled hunters could use crossbows. Now every hunter can use a crossbow for the entire duration of archery season. They added a special early rifle antlerless season in the fall prior to the statewide rifle season. Uh, They increased doe allocations, 23,000. They're up by this year. That's not based on the population of deer. That's totally based on them wanting to get more people out there hunting yeah it's well they say it's based on the population of deer but our harvest was down last year so it kind of doesn't make sense to me that if our harvest is down why are you increasing the antlerless license allocation Mm -hmm. and i think some of it has to do with concerns about cwd as well okay which i get that I, I get that. But two two of the things that really bug me the most about the opportunity, I'll call it the changes to increase opportunity. They uh, made a new regulation that before when you shot a deer in Pennsylvania, the first thing you had to do is get out of your stand or your blind or whatever you're in, go up, tag that deer, field dress it, and remove it from the woods. And if you had another antlerless tag, for example, once you had that deer out of the woods, then you could go back and hunt. They changed that to to now you could shoot as many deer at one time for as, as many deer for as you have tags, you could shoot them at one time. And from an ethics standpoint, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth because then you're, you're not talking so much game management. You're talking killing. But to them, it increased opportunity. Uh And I, I, it's just one example how I think that they're just going overboard with this, the opportunity. And they're really doing, making these changes to make it easier for people to kill a deer that they're 
forgetting that it's the hunt that sells itself, not the killing of the deer. Sure. So what do you think? Why do you think that's Why do you think they're um, stressing um, opportunity so much? I think they, and I think it's something you see with other game agencies as well in the country. They hit the panic button as license sales continue to decline year after year. I think they hit the panic button. When did, that that, a, when did that happen? Like, when did they start? When did you sense that they were starting to get panicky? And it doesn't seem like opportunity sounds, it seems like a bad word for this. It seems like they want, they're trying to increase success. Yeah. 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 Make it easier for people to kill a deer in the short term, at least. But yeah. yeah. But yeah. When did, when did you feel like the, they're, they were starting to try to, they were getting more aggressive about incentivizing people to hunt. I'd say what it started when they allowed crossbow use for everyone, which was uh, 2010, I believe. Okay. That was the first major change. And then they added things like concurrent uh, buck and doe rifle season, which we, we'd never had before. That, that was brought in, antler restrictions, things like that. Uh, and some of these things I could live with, but every year, what can we do now to make it easier for someone to kill a deer? Because that's what's going to get them to hunt. And I just don't think that's the right approach to, to selling the sport. You, there's not like, a, well, it doesn't sound like you think that deer are overpopulated in Pennsylvania. They're mm-hmm. overpopulated in areas, no doubt about it but our management units are so broad that you can't micromanage those areas where overpopulations do exist. You can't focus hunters where they're needed within a unit. If okay. that makes any sense. What, what, what are the down, what are the downsides of these, these changes to the, to, yeah, for hunt, hunting quality? Well, the first downside that I was concerned about, and you see it now in, in, in quite a few areas, especially in the mountains, is the impact on the resource. Uh, you do things that make it easier to harvest a deer. Places where people have access to hunt is where that resource is going to be impacted to the most, public lands. Sure. So deer numbers, you asked about overpopulation. There's an overpopulation of deer in a lot of farm areas, but on our, on our public lands, it's pretty barren. Okay. It's pretty barren, but yet that's where all the hunting pressure is focused. And that's where the true impact of these liberalized regulations can be seen. Uh, in terms of litter or crowding or... Yeah, well, in terms of in terms of uh, deer populations dropping, okay, crowding it is a big issue on a lot of game lands. Uh, and, and I've I've heard you talk about crowding on public lands, and that's what made me think. I was listening listening to you you talk in a podcast once, 
about the public land access and people from out of state uh, coming in and it, it crowds things and I get that. So I, I thought, do we really need added opportunity if it's gonna crowd our public lands, lessen the experience, impact the resource beyond what's manageable? Do we really need this increased opportunity if that's the end result, especially on public lands? Yeah, that's to me, that's the $24,000 question. I've been saying that, like, if you graphed the sum total of uh, human happiness brought by hunting on public lands, you had that on the vertical axis. And then you had the number of hunters on the horizontal axis. Axis were long past, in terms of, we're long past, far past the number of hunters where the total happiness goes up. It's like add more hunters. Yeah. I think it, it don't, it just, it's a, to a point now, sounds like there as it is here, where adding more hunters reduces the joy that uh, hunting brings people just because it just, adds to the frustration and it's it's devilishly hard to know what what to do about that and in my view in my view i've taken a my best stab at it in terms of laying out some positions i have one is stop i I think it would be good if uh if there was an effort to stop attracting people to hunting. I mean, like everybody with a voice in hunting is trying to make there be more hunters because more hunters makes means more profits and um, makes means more nonprofit um, dues, that sort of thing. But the, like the, the, the quality of the experience is completely absent from the conversation. It's, it's um it's we need more hunters to fight for conservation we need more hunters uh to um help with bills in the legislature um or i think that this whole we need more hunters because hunter numbers are declining which is that it's it's absolutely meaningless um it's just the raw hunter numbers is a meaningless number. Like if you don't factor in how much lost opportunity there is, both in terms of habitat loss, um, like habitat. I was I just read a paper that was looking at habitat loss for for several endangered species, and if that's in any indication, then we've lost like six percent. It's like four percent on public lands and 8% on private lands of, of wildlife habitat in the last 30 years. That's the case for these endangered species, but I don't understand why it would be any different for deer and turkeys and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, everything is, everybody with a voice is like, we need more hunters because of this, no more, more hunters because of that. And I think it's profit driven, driven and nobody, Nobody with a voice is saying, yeah, but what about opportunity? You know, 
I, to the point where I don't have kids, but if I did have kids, I, I instead of wanting to recruit them into hunting, I'd probably try to recruit them into something else. Because why would I, why would I want my kid to develop a passion in something that's like, it's frustrating. It's a frust, it's frustrating. There's just because there's so little unfettered opportunity anymore that doesn't require paying for it unless you want to pay for it. And in my viewpoint, once you're paying for it, it's not hunting anymore. I have no interest in that. And I wouldn't want my kid to develop an interest in that. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling, but that's my take on that stuff. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I agree with that. And I'll, I'll add to that, that I think these initiatives such as the, the three R's, for example, I think on the surface, it sounds good. We want to recruit, we want to retain, we want to reactivate, you know, great. But it's forced. If people want to hunt, let them gravitate to the sport naturally. For re- let them, don't force it on them. And to me, that feels forced. And we lose by forcing that. You're kind of artificially inflating hunter numbers, i.e. license sales, with people that really aren't dedicated to the sport. They came to the sport because you sold it to them. They should come to the sport because they have a desire to hunt. It should be more organic. And one of the reasons why we hunt, at least why I hunt, is to get away from it. Like we were talking with the farm. I, I like to get away from people. I like the solitary, the solitude of, of hunting. But when you force the sport on people, you lose those elements. And then you, you lose the appeal of hunting to begin with that solitude get away from it all uh enjoy nature you don't want to go hunt and fight crowds <laughs> no, no definitely definitely it, not. It, 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 think about this matt we have mentored youth hunting days in pennsylvania i'm sure other states have mentored youth hunts uh-huh. we have specific days Gobbler, for example, we have a Mentored Youth Gobbler Day that starts before the statewide gobbler, spring gobbler season opens. The reason why we have Mentored Youth Hunting Days is so the kids have space to themselves in the woods. Uh, Yeah, right, right, yeah. You understand? So, I mean, our, our own game agency realizes the value of getting away from people yet they're pushing crowd they're they're pushing the opposite on the rest of us yeah that's really interesting it's like they're setting up false expectations for these kids because they think they could then think that that's the way it's going to be when they're when they're grown up um 16 and they have to hunt like the rest of us It's, it's a whole new experience yeah 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 um that made because for a lot of that I was like, what you were saying, and I'd still like you to to uh, elaborate, but the this idea that 
they're forcing people to haunt. I'm sure you don't mean that they're like not they're gonna find people if they don't go hunting. But but uh um I was wondering what you meant by that, but that's a good example in my mind of like draw I guess it's drawing kids into hunting on false pretenses. And we have the same thing here as well for deer with kids they get to go out deer hunting before the general opener so yeah i i'd get i'd probably i would do away with the youth hunt if 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 i was king of montana for sure because yeah i wouldn't want i mean i I wouldn't want my my kid to develop a passion for hunting and then have then realize when they get of age and they can't do the cherry youth hunt anymore that that's not what it's like uh so what are you what are some other like how are how is it how is what's your game management agency called again pennsylvania game commission how is pennsylvania game commission incentivize incentivizing people to hunt oh well you said that but it's like it's not like it's forcing them by it's just offering some more doe tags, making the archery season longer. I mean, how is that like? I mean, that's it, how- it's maybe forced is a strong word, but I see it as for, forced in a way that. Let me, let me compare it to when I got in the sport, there was there were no youth days. Seasons were a lot shorter. Doe tags were a lot fewer. Uh, things were more restricted or limited, if you will. You Yet, had to want it more. You had to want it more. And today, if you don't want it more, that's okay because we'll give you more reasons to want it more. Mm-hmm. It, you, yeah. You, you had people that, uh, when hunting was hard, when you really had to hunt to get a deer or turkey, when you had to hunt, which is a good thing, you had a lot of people like, eh, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But now you're saying to them, okay, we'll give you more time to hunt and make it easier for you to kill something. Okay, I'll do it then. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And what that leads to is, sounds like uh, a lot of crowding in public lands. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't that have the influence over time of like making it so that it's just as hard as ever? The crowding? Yeah. So they incentivize it by like lengthening seasons. Uh, um, giving out doe tags, um, having a crossbow deal. So do, couldn't it be that all of those enticements just make it just as hard as it was back in the battle days? Because sure, you have a longer season, you got a crossbow and you got a doe tag, but now it's there's a dude behind every tree. It, it does make it hard, but back in those days what made it tolerable is deer numbers were higher oh on public land on public land yeah now since these regulations were enacted 
you still have crowded public lands and you have plummeting deer populations. More crowded, it sounds like. In some cases, yeah. Yeah, yeah in some cases. So, so you're going out there, you're seeing more hunters than you are seeing deer. Uh, so how is it going to play out? Yeah. If they don't either reverse things to address the crowded situations or increase deer numbers where the habitat can support it, of course, and there are places, it's just going to crash again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if it seems like the way to make headway there would be to, I've always, I've always said, or I've been saying for a few years now that what R3 should be is opening up land. Yeah. That's what R3 should be is build it and they'll come, you know, I'm not, I'm not aware of anywhere in the U S where there's like publicly accessible lands, just teeming with game waiting to be shot and nobody's shooting it. So to me, that's, that's the, if you really want to, bring more people in instead of hyping it up on social media and, and um, incentivizing it with cherry tags uh, and all that stuff and open up some land and let that'll, that'll, if you open up some land, that'll get more people out there for sure. The other thing I'd say is why in the hell would would uh they want to why would the the game commission want to there or here for that matter want to draw more people in when it's like already crowded i don't get that other i mean other than the obvious thing which is funding right yeah that's that is the obvious thing i guess the secondary incentive for the agencies could be political clout maybe that's not the right word but uh, clout within the legislature to enact and or protect hunting more numbers more power bigger voice is there is there a pretty active anti-hunting coalition or in Pennsylvania? It exists, but it's not nothing that's a major threat right now, yeah. nor has it really been a, a major threat as far as I remember. Yeah. Because um, that's been one of the concerns. Our game commission is funded by the sale of hunting licenses. They don't get any money from the general fund. Oh, okay. And... And that's always been a thing that people, hunters, uh, like because it limits who can have a voice in game management. We're not funded by the general public, so general public, maybe they don't get a voice. I see. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, 
but I, I don't, even if hunting license sales dropped, revenue dropped, and they had to dip into the general fund and it opened up the door for maybe non-hunters to have a seat on the game commission board, I really don't see that happening. I, I, I don't see that happening. If it does, I don't think the anti-hunting threat is that established or dangerous in Pennsylvania that they would make an inroad there. I could be wrong. I mean, it's obviously a chance you don't want to take, but I don't see it as a major threat. Yeah. There's this tension between, I mean, that's like, I, I'm concerned about quality of, of hunting and, and nobody, nobody gives, nobody seems to give two shits about it. I mean, the, the, nobody ever like, um, I mean, they advocate for habitat people with, like hunting celebrities, uh, the nonprofits, uh, the fish and wildlife management agencies, they, they advocate for conservation. They, uh, maybe not so much the fish and game management agencies though. Maybe they do. I don't know. They, they point out the need to have lots of hunters to ward off the anti-hunting boogeyman but they don't confront the biggest issue facing public land hunters in this country today it's like it's absent from the conversation um and the only thing i can i mean it's just like obviously got to be that if you're selling hunting products then you want more hunters because it's more customers and like in your case, what we're talking about now, it's got to be that they want more revenue and they want more political power. But it's just a shame that 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 always comes at the expense of quality experiences. So tell me a little bit of, give me an anecdote or two. Uh, like, what would I see? What would I? What would a day? What would a day in rifle season be like there? in the mountains um in terms of how many gunshots i'd hear or orange vests i'd see well i'll give you two comparisons when i started hunting we had two our rifle season was two weeks of buck followed by three days of doe and on the first day of each the first Monday of the buck season, you start hearing shots from your stand as you're sitting in the mountains in the pitch black. You'll, you, you'll start hearing shots as the sky starts to break. And seven o'clock, eight o'clock, there were years it sounded like a war. Yeah. Uh, and it's just as bad or worse now, I would imagine. Actually, it's far less now, and it's not so much because you have fewer hunters now. Well, there's two reasons. You have fewer deer, so there's less shooting going on. But with the expansion of our archery season, a lot of guys are shooting their bucks 
with a crossbow during the rut in archery season. Ah, okay. And the rifle participation has dropped because they're already killed their buck tag in archery. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of, a lot of people are complaining that because there's fewer people in the rifle season as, as a result of archery, there's less people on some areas in the mountains moving deer. So it's harder to get a deer, but going back to the public lands, first day of deer season and rifle deer season on a lot of game lands that surround urban areas, especially it's, uh, I don't know if I'd want to hunt there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't know who's shooting where, um, yeah, I, I, I'd probably sit it out if I had to hunt on those public lands that were so jammed and you got people flinging light at anything that's brown. Yeah. And all, and all the, all the nonprofits and the hunting industry. And it sounds like you're fishing, your, your game management, your game commission. They all wish there were more. They wish there were more people there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, we only have so much land to go around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many hunters can you safely fit on public land before safety is compromised and the experience is compromised? Yeah. I think we've exceeded that limit. Yeah. Yeah, so I that's a that's a big part of why. Uh, I started becoming vocal is because I just feel like hunters don't look out for themselves in their own best interests. Like when are, when are hunters going to like wake up and be like, this doesn't serve me as a hunter. What, you know, to what, what, and, and just like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there like what well, we need to come together and take a stand and be like, no, we don't need more. We don't need more hunters. Um, we don't need to actively try to entice more people to hunt. Um, yeah. I don't, know if, I don't know if I'll get any traction with that or not. I, I, there's a lot of like, I've been, I've noticed online, I've looked around a little bit, like on hunt forums and stuff. And some people are like, yeah, he's, you know, he's right. And other people call me selfish and say, I'm just trying to keep it all to myself. So I, I, I don't feel like that's the case at all. I'm just, somebody's got to, somebody's got to make the point. Somebody's got to point out that the quality of the experience is suffering, you know? Well, I, I think you touched on this before. If somebody comes to me and says, I have an interest in hunting. I'd like to give it a try. Can you take me out and show me what it's about? I really think it's something I would like. I'll be happy to take them out. Same. Yes, absolutely. But I'm not going to go knock on doors and say, hey, do you want to try hunting? Come with me. Yeah. Or advocate in, in Pennsylvania, like you're, I'm learning here, advocate that they make it easy so that other people, so that more people go out. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then with the, the, like one article I wrote, there's an article I wrote in free range American. I, I don't know if you read that, but 
Yeah. It's also that social media is, I think is, is creative, created new motivations for hunting. Yeah. That never that were never there. Then that were never, I think they're illegitimate and they shouldn't be part of the picture, but now it's like, in addition to getting some meat from the freezer, enjoying nature, the excitement of taking, harvesting a deer, killing deer, like on, uh, on public land and all that stuff, the thrill of it, um, the rewarding experience, you also get to uh, brag to a bunch of people. And I think, don't you think that that's become motivation for some people the sole motivation of why they hunt i think that oh hell yes hell yes i de definitely i would i wish there was a way i mean i don't know i'm a i'm a data scientist so I, if if anybody could figure out a way to quantify that it would be someone like me though i haven't had any luck in coming up with a analytical trick to do it but yeah how many feet how what percentage of hunters are out would would hunt less or not at all if they couldn't play hey look at me on the computer i don't know that's an interesting question if you get an answer let me know i think <laughs> yeah. that'd make a good story are there are there a lot of hunting influencer types in pennsylvania yeah there are uh, I think some have a purpose because they go about it the right way. They're not focused on, here's a big buck I shot. I'm so great. Subscribe to my channel. There are some that I know that here's how you feel, dress a deer. Uh, I shot this deer. I showed you the hunt. Now I'm going to show you how I prepare the venison. That stuff I think is okay. But you have a lot that are. I was hunting in the mountains today. I shot a buck. I'm going to show you the kill shot. Because mm -hmm. that's what matters to them. Yeah. And I. Here, here's my one example of when I really got sick of the kill shot stuff on social media. I, I was on Twitter a couple years ago and there's a, a national hunting personality who posted a, a video of a nice buck. He was in a blind of a nice buck walking into a field in front of his blind. And I came across this video. I said, oh boy, that's, that's, that's a nice buck. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's neat. But he wrote under that post, should I show the shot? And everybody was replying back, hell yeah. Yeah. Let's see it. Yeah. And I wrote back to him for what purpose? Why do you need to show the shot? What does that prove? What does that benefit? And ever since then, I really soured on hunting on social media, hunting posts on social media. So did he respond to you? No, other people did. Oh, did they um, pile on you? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. They 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 were accusing me of being an anti. Okay. Um, you could imagine that. But, you you could imagine that that wasn't a random sample of the attitudes out there. You know, you were you made that comment to a a group of folks that don't aren't representative of uh viewpoints on showing kill shots. They're already bought in, you know, if True. you're following this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There there's a bias. Oh yeah. 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 If he had sent that picture with that question to a random sample of people, um shit there'd be a quarter quarter of the people would probably be like, you can still hunt deer. (laughs) (laughs) And 75 or 80 percent would be like, no, I don't want to (laughs) watch that thing die. You know. (laughs) You you know something? I actually, I'm guilty of it once. When I started my own freelance outdoor writing career, I felt I need to promote myself in order to get people to read what I'm writing. So one day I was out fall turkey hunting. I shot a turkey. It was a great hunt in the snow. It was a lot of fun. And I took a picture of the turkey with my shotgun leaning against a tree next to it. And I posted the picture on Facebook or something. And I wrote, great day in the fall turkey woods. And I posted it. After I posted it, I looked at it. I'm like, I felt pretty silly. Not only oh, really? That, what year was this? Did I post it that? That mm-hmm. was 20, fall of 2019. It just didn't Remember? feel right. No, I, I felt like, like, a, like an idiot. Oh. Like, hey, look what I shot. Yeah. It, it, and I thought to myself, why did I do that? You know, why? That was the only time I ever did anything like that. Oh, see, I, I did a little, I've done a little grip and grinning online and back in the day. I don't obviously don't any, anymore. Uh, I, I, but I, uh, I, I loved it. Like, I was like, I, I think I get the appeal of it. Just having people go, wow, look at what he got and all that. Not that I shoot, shoot any big stuff. I really don't. But, you know, the all the adulation even of getting a decent deer or elk or whatever. I, I loved it. So it's like, I don't, it's not like I'm immune to, to the appeal. It sounds like you are. It's just cool. Uh, it's just that I have, I, I've learned to control my impulses. Like all the stuff that I stand for, and I don't know if you've been on my website. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, there's some, I have some bullet points in there. And I'll just read them real quick here. Let's see. So they're not like these bullet points. I want to editorialize a little bit about why they are what what this list represents to me. And this is kind of an aside, but I'm not, now I'm on it, so I want to do it with you. See what get your take. Sure. Um, 
I want to then I want to get back to talking about uh, your emotional response to posting stuff online because that's interesting. But so I think that hunting in America is only going to get worse. Um, I think it's going to get more worse to me means more the opportunity is going to be the quality opportunity is going to cost more money it's going to be it's going to become increasingly good hunting is going to be increasingly something experienced primary primarily by the wealthy more and more from an access standpoint Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that public land hunting it's just going to get like i've had some fantastic experiences on public land but i but they're becoming less and i don't see any reason why they're not going to become even more um compromised public land hunting so this list i have is like if if I woke, I think I'm very pessimistic about the future hunting in, in America. I think it's going to become like, like a lot of European countries, you know, where. It, oh yeah. Um, because, uh, but let's say, let's say in, I looked in a crystal beer, uh, a crystal ball, and and somehow found out that in 20 years it was better than it is now. Um, Then I would guess that it's because we decided to do these things. And here they are. Engage in the political fight for habitat and access. A lot of us already do that, which is great. And it needs to continue. And we got to fight harder. Do not pay for hunting access or hire guides and outfitters that lease that lease private land. Combat poor hunter behavior, especially on private lands made accessible to hunters through government programs. So here we have the block management program is uh, the state license fees go uh, generated. Okay, dollars generated from out-of-state hunting licenses go towards paying land landowners to that let people on. So that's what okay. that's an example of a government program that makes private lands available. Okay, I heard of that. <clears throat> Acknowledge and celebrate <clears throat> private landowners that pri- provide hunting access to the public. Boycott hunting TV. Disincentivize uh, shame parenthetically shame unfollow hunters that display dead and dying animals to strangers on social media avoid to the extent possible gear clothing and firearm companies that use hunting tv and sponsored social media hunters to sell products and encourage hunting nonprofits to stop recruiting retaining and reactivating hunters into our severely overcrowded pastime in their quest to collect dues and appease the hunting their hunting industry sponsors. Now I might add a new one: encourage fish and game management agencies to stop trying to 
get more people into it by these enticements that you've talked about. So are there, is there any daylight between us on that list? The only, I, I like the list. I agree with the list. I have to question the point you mentioned about avoiding clothing firearm manufacturers that use hunting TV. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be left with? Oh, man. I'm so I'm I I've been playing around with trying to come up with a list of companies that so that don't use hunting TV to advertise. And I think if I could find some, it would be maybe like clothing companies that make whole uh outdoor clothing that could be used for hunting, but it's not hunting clothing, you know, so there'd be okay. one. or very small, very small companies that would love to advertise on the outdoor channel, but can't afford to and get to them before they start. Um, so I guess any, to the listening audience, if I have one to, <laughs> to the five or 10 people that constitute um, my listening audience or whatever. If you know of any companies like that, I'd love to know about them. I would list them on, on my website. So yeah, that's your, but you're absolutely right. It'd be difficult to, to outfit yourself in this day and age. If you avoid, avoided all companies that. If, if you can make that list, if you can find companies that in, can compile such a list and get it out there to people. I think it would be a big success because oh. I think people love to patronize the little guy. Okay. Good to know. And a lot of times it's the little guy that makes the quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You might pay a little more, but I, I, I think, I think hunting TV is the leading destroyer uh, of hunting in america i think that well a couple things go through my mind i can't imagine what hunting around where i live in eastern montana would be like if i think if hunting tv had never happened like all my friends that grew up here in the 80s they could hunt all this land around here and now it's just completely locked up except for some places that are in block management and I just really do believe that's it's because hunting TV is advertisement. So it's like it makes people they see they watch hunting TV and they go, "Oh, I want to experience that." And then they uh, hire outfitters that have leased up land or get their own lease because of it. I don't know. I, I just can't imagine to to argue otherwise is to in my mind is to argue that somehow advertising doesn't work. Like (laughs) why would it be different with hunting TV than any other? I I agree with you a hundred percent on that one, but let me ask you this. Hunting TV has been around for a long time. 
mid like I think Buckmasters was the first one. 1985 was the first okay. cable hunting yeah. TV show. That sounds right. So is this a problem that has existed decades, or is it something that has recently become a problem? And if no. so, why? Okay. It's yeah, it's just gotten gradually worse and worse and worse. Like the amount of leased acres out here has gone up and up and up. Um, outfitted ranches, the number of them and the acreages have gone up and up and up. And um, in tandem with the number of hunting shows, and in tandem with the number of hunting influencers on on tv or i mean on social media so i i think that there's a causal connection there so do you think that hunting shows from the days of 1985 buckmasters on cable to today where there's so many platforms do you think that hunting shows have broadened their reach and as a result the issue you're speaking of with land being locked up has increased because more people are seeing hunting shows today. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I, when I watch, when I, when I watched hunting TV, hunting shows as a young man, it made me want to go hunting. Now yeah. I was already bought in. I was already a hunter. But I think it probably does the same thing to people that don't, to some percentage of the non-hunting public. When they see that, they want, they're like, oh, I want to go do that. And then all those shows, or the vast majority of them, are take place on private land where the hunting is absolutely fabulous. So what kind of hunting do they want? They want that kind of hunting, the kind that requires an exclusive um, access situation. You know, one thing I thought of that's happening in PA, and I think this ties into what you're saying, I'm seeing a bigger push from these companies I never heard of, but they're companies that, their sole purpose is to lease land for their clients. Yeah. Hunting land. And they'll, they'll send all private landowners uh, a postcard or a brochure. Call us if you want to make big money leasing your land to our clients. I never saw that before until maybe two, three years ago, I started to notice that happening in Pennsylvania. Oh, that's interesting because, yeah, we have a, a company here called the Land Trust. And that's what they're doing now. And that's that's only been two or three years. You know, I, I, I and some of the I looked at into some of these companies that 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 do that. That so okay, so the the land trust one it's kind of an a la carte deal. You call them up and you go, I want to go hunt for X, and they set you up with a ranch that you go do that where you go to hunt for X or even they do other things other than hunting too, like bird watching. I don't know why, why anyone would pay to, I mean, it's like bird watching is not crowded and there's plenty of public land to do that, but they do. That's, that's their, 
business model is you call them up, tell me what, what you want to do. And they set you up with a place. Um, but then there's like, I looked around online. There's these companies that will find you a hunting lease or is that and that's probably kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that. And, and there's also, there's also companies that will find you a hunting property to buy. Yeah. I've seen that. So there's a big national one. I, I can't remember what it's called but I, I i've seen that too and that's yeah. somewhat recent too yeah i want to look into that stuff a little bit but i they, some of these some of the, these companies are in some way like sponsored by the hunting industry i was looking on one of these sites and it's like had winchester as their sponsor like, how is that not freaking political suicide? Here, here, like you used to you used to hunt a place. If you used to hunt a place, and now this company has facilitated that place being leased out. And now you can't go there. And the hunting industry was complicit in that. Shouldn't that piss you off? It's almost hurting their own. Yeah. Oh, do you remember, like, I don't know, does Cabela's still have Cabela's hunting properties? I That's that's the big big one I, I was thinking of. Yeah. Or is there one called Whitetail Properties, too? Like, so wait a minute. You take, I buy, I buy products from you to go hunt on public, or hunt on public land or on block management land, this government program that opens up access here. And like you take the proceeds and lock up hunting land in my state. Like it's just, it's so cutthroat. And even like Onyx and I don't know if you ever heard of Wired to Hunt. Yeah. I yeah. I've seen and online i've seen articles were like how to find a hunting lease yeah so i i used to think that the that all the hype around hunting was a byproduct of it was that hunting more hunting land gets leased up it's it like a but there's there's these these companies it's not just like a byproduct it's what they apparently want they Don't want you think that, they want it to be leased up but and if the you mentioned about winchester if the manufacturers and the clothing companies or what have you are on board with this don't you think they're hurting themselves in the long run because these this push for leased property or to lease property rather actually hurts hunter numbers in the long run that's the more land you're locking up the less 
access there is, less access there is, less reason there is for people to keep hunting. And I know we were talking about crowded conditions. Leases make for more crowded conditions on the public lands. Yeah. So I think I that's a really good point. Uh let's see here. So yeah, I would imagine that that leasing hunting leasing uh, if there wasn't here's a way of putting it if there if there weren't hunting leases in the united states i think there'd be more hunters because uh those leased lands i mean have ridiculously low hunting pressure so those places could stand to have more hunters on them right but so if if there wasn't if there weren't hunting leases, then I think that there would be more hunters. So in that way, it does seem like the companies are going against their own better interests by supporting that. Um, and, and let me let me add this, just take it one step further. When I was a kid, I'd go around, I'd drive the, the dirt roads of Pennsylvania in my 1978 International Scout, which was the best vehicle I ever had. How could somebody say no to a kid driving in 1978? <laughs> I pull up to farmhouses, knock on doors, ask for permission to hunt. And fair number of times people would say yes. And those experiences on those properties were some of the greatest experiences I had growing up hunting. And it kept me involved in the sport. Mm-hmm. If those same landowners lease their land today, that kid knocking on their door is going to be told no. And that kid won't have those experiences that I was fortunate enough to have. Yeah. Kids not going to be able to buy a lease, pay a lease. Yeah. So what's that doing to the future of the sport? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in terms of the companies and what they think about that, I, I guess they just, they're too short sighted to even, they never stopped and thought about the influence on of leasing on their bottom line. If they have, they probably have some cynical viewpoint like, oh yeah, but those guys that those folks that lease up those hunting properties or buy up hunting properties, they have more money to spend. So we'll have a smaller clientele, but they'll have more expendable income. I don't know. Short-term gain. Yeah. I just like I I don't have kids and I have a pretty good job in a rural community where the cost of living is low. I could, I could afford a hunting lease. I could probably afford to buy a place that had decent smallish place that had good hunting, but I it would lose all I would lose all interest at that point. Like it's just not what it's about to me. Um, it's about if I if I was like you and I had a farm, I'd hunt my own farm. Sure, I'd have I'd or probably would. Like I said earlier, maybe I wouldn't. But either way, I'd let other people hunt it like you do. But it's to me, it's it's about going out into into nature where other people can go if they want, just like me and getting something by my wits. And when, 
when you just like you buy the access, you you've bought the the part that's hardest, so that then if you have an if you have a, a hunting achievement there, you 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 kill a nice deer or whatever. Like I just wouldn't feel any sense of accomplishment because the hardest part I bought. Well, let me play devil's advocate. Finding the spot is the hardest part. It, it is. It's hard. Yeah, I agree with you there. But what about somebody took your argument and said, and I just want to hear your opinion on this. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I just want to hear your take and said, well, aren't you buying access when you buy a hunting license? Isn't that giving you hunting access to public lands? No, man. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we could do some serious distinction mongering with that source. I'd have to, I guess I'd have to think long and hard about what, like, what's different about that. You know, I guess I want there to be game wardens. I want there to be law enforcement. I want the, I want Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to do their, fulfill their administrative functions. So to me, I, I'm, I'm buying this license my my dollars are going towards helping hunting be better for everybody, not just for me. Like if I buy a lease, I'm just want I'm just that's just making hunting hunting be better for me. So I guess that's the difference for me. It, it plus the fact can I don't know what the hunter safety class requirement is in Montana, but. You're buying a license to gain access to public lands. Anybody can do that. Whereas right. a lease, not everybody can do a lease. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I just don't, I don't understand. I, I don't, I think people that hunt on hunting leases, I can't imagine they're enjoying it the way somebody that hunts public enjoys it. I, I think it depends on what their motivation is. If their mo if their motivation is to kill something, maybe they are enjoying it. But if their motivation is the quality of the hunt, who knows? Well if the if the if that if that's the motivation is the quality of the hunt, I guess that then the it's just so complicated like they they'd have a quality hunt at least you know the the experience would be like a like you know they wouldn't have to worry about other people being around the game would be acting like like the game animals would be acting like game animals act when it's not hunting season They'd be chilled out, you know. Well, be, yeah, but it, but it might the, not be a hard hunt. Yeah, it, and 
I don't know. It's like, I just, I, for, for me personally, if I, if I had, a, if I went out and like leased up some land and then I shot a deer on it, God, the feeling would not, would be though a sense of accomplishment would be so diminished compared to going where anybody else could go and, and filling my freezer that way. It's like, it just loses the part where it's kind of a, I mean, hunting is never, it's not like, it's, it's not a good way to feed yourself. I think we'd agree. Maybe not, but I, in my mind, oh, it's a good way to feed yourself. It's, it's healthy meat, but it's not an economical way to feed yourself. Right. Um, like if I spent all the money I spent, if I took all the money I spent on hunting and I could, I could fill my freezer with uh, New York strip every year. Although you see the price of meat in the store. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But typically you're right. Yeah. Typically you're right. But at least it has some semblance of, of being like a, well, I'm enjoying myself. My hobby is providing meat. I tell, I think to myself, well, if I wasn't spending this money hunting, I'd be spending it some on something else. So as a, because I've chosen hunting as my hobby, a byproduct of it is the, is the meat. I mean, in a very important byproduct of it, critical byproduct of it, but like, sure. and I get that for next to nothing, but if you lease land, then that's gone. You've spent a shitload of money for that deer then. Yeah. Yeah. And then but were you saying making... before though, were you saying before that hunting on a lease is not as gratifying because the outcome is more predictable? It's just not as gratifying because you just like, I guess the best way I can think to say it is, I, I, well, I'll say that I'll say over half, over 50% of a successful hunt is finding your own spot. I spent a lot of time in the mountains, yeah. in the mountains, just scouting in the summertime. And when a place I scout out, like turns out to be, and I'm like, oh, I might come back here. And then I do, and it's good hunting. That is a major sense of accomplishment. Like, because I hate doing it, going up in the mountains in, the, in July when it's there's black flies everywhere and it's 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. But then when I come back in September, October, and it's cool, and it turns out, and I'm seeing some critters, and, and I, like I'm like, I am so glad I invested in that way. You don't get any of that with a hunting lease. You know, yeah, it, it, it's it's well, it goes back to what I said predictable, yeah. Plus, you have to live with this the sense that, that, like, if you're at all like a reflective person, you have to realize that it's contributing to hunting becoming a rich person's sport in, in the U.S. I mean, like. A lot of these lands that are leased for hunting, it's not like if if the hunting community decided, no, we are not going to pay to hunt. It's not like those lands wouldn't have hunting taking place on them. 
because there are a lot of, I mean, hunting leases are largely agricultural lands and having no hunting isn't an option. They get freaking eaten out of house and home. Matter of fact, like there's been ranches around where I live that were outfitted and the rancher did away with the outfitter because the outfitter wasn't shooting enough game, wasn't shooting enough does, and they started losing their hay crop. So they go out of the outfitting gig and go back into block management so they can get more 100 days out there and get some of the critters shot. The reason I'm mentioning that is like, so it's not like either this land will not be hunted at all or it will be leased. I don't think that's the way it works in this country. I think it largely is if the hunting community decide to stop fucking one another by buying up exclusive access for themselves, that those lands still would be hunted, but it wouldn't be a pay-to-play thing. Yeah, because you're not going to see these leases in Iowa go without hunting. Like if nobody paid for it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's big bucks out there. Yeah. So I don't I don't think I'm gonna make any I don't think I'm gonna make any headway with that. Like I like I say, I don't think I'm gonna make any headway with any of it. I think it's gonna just get crappier and crappier. I'm just like I look in a crystal ball and I say, okay, if it's gonna be better in 20, uh, it's gonna be better in 20 years somehow. And then like those things I read to you are like, if it is better in 20 years, it'll be because we decided to do these things. That's the way I'm looking at it. Well, don't sell yourself short. I came across what you were writing just by coincidence. I read it. And I'm like, damn, he's right. I, I agree with this guy. Oh, thank you. And then I, I shared some of your stuff with my friends. So I'm like, yeah, he's on to something. Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, it, it's, yeah. uh, and that's in Pennsylvania. It's not like I'm an anti-money guy. I'm not at all. I'm all, I'm a capitalist fellow. It's just not with this, man. Just not with this. I guess it's, it's you, just, you know a lot of your is points. Too spiritual. It's too. It's too sacred. It's just not supposed to be a freaking money thing, in my view. It's supposed to be kind of equitably. Uh, portioned out to citizens of the country some some degree of equality of opportunity and it's not supposed to be so damn monetized anyway i just want to say something real quick about before i forget this point well, I'm doing, I'm like talking way more than I should, not listening nearly enough. I know no. I've had several people tell me that about the first episode of my podcast I put out. So you go, you go for it. You, you had touched on this and we, we discussed a little bit about the anti hunters. And I'm just thinking back to your, your list of bullet points. And I think one of the things you said, combat poor hunter behavior and uh disincentive 
identifies those hunters that display dead or dying animals on social media. Yeah. I get those right. Yeah. At least on public account accounts, you know, the show. Those two things. I feel may be the biggest threats to the sport because I'm not so much worried about the anti hunters. I'm worried about keeping the non hunters on our side. There's yeah. more non-hunters than anything. Yeah. And those things, showing dead and dying animals on social media, um, poor hunter behavior, those two things do more to turn non-hunters into ha- anti-hunters than anything else. Right. Right. Do you have some concrete examples? Of those things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I did an outdoors page for one of the local papers for years, I, I'd cover hunting, fishing, nature, everything. And sometimes I'd run a picture of a, a dead bear, a hunter with a dead bear, which is fine, but you could see where they feel dressed it and there's blood running down the tailgate of the truck. Mm-hmm. stuff like that and i get letters from readers who weren't hunters saying i really like your outdoors page but i don't like that picture that really bothered me can you not you know please don't do the we don't mind hunting but we don't want to see that mm-hmm. and even though that picture didn't bother me you have to be respectful of things that can bother them because yeah. they're the majority we're yeah. the minority yeah. yeah. And it's it's not the anti-hunters passing laws. It's the non-hunters that are passing laws. It's the non-hunters that are in legislature protecting hunting yeah. from these anti-hunting stuff. So those things I feel are do more harm to the sport, big picture-wise, than anything else. Um if you type in if you Google like hunting social media controversy, you can read for days, like article after article after article. So, um, did, did you come when you, did you ever hear about the Pennsylvania case from two years ago? It was national news. No, do tell. This ties in perfectly what we're talking about. Two kids during the rifle deer season in Western Pennsylvania shot a buck, wounded it. I think they shot it, broke its back, couldn't get up. And they took their phones out and they filmed themselves torturing this wounded buck. Okay, this is coming back to me now, yeah. They they were kicking in the head yanking its horn, you know, just torturing this animal. And they put it on their social media. At this point, if I saw that, I'd become an anti-hunter. Yeah, yeah. And that did more harm to our sport in the view of non-hunters than anything else. Uh, And and that's why I thought it was beholden on our game commission and everybody who writes about the outdoors to get out and this say this is not hunting this is not who we are yeah 
because that's major damage right there. Yeah. Don Hunter see something like that. What did they what did they do those kids? They they got charged. They were found guilty. They lost their licenses, I think, for 10 or 12 years. They had to pay pretty hefty fines. Uh, I don't think they did any jail time or anything like that. A lot of people said they got off a little bit easy. Uh, their reputations took a hit. I'll tell oh, you that. shit. Law enforcement should keep an eye on Like, have you ever read the profile, like, or maybe you see it on a crime show or something. There's a there's a profile of a of a serial killer. Yeah, that's one of the characteristics. Is animal torture kids like if they're uh, if uh, somebody w- engaged in animal torture when they're a kid? That's like a warning sign. Um, man, yeah. When I when things go poorly for me, I want that animal dead yesterday yeah yeah that video was so bad i couldn't even watch the whole thing yeah it was just uh in terms of a real concrete case of lost opportunity do you know about grizzly bear hunting in in british columbia uh no i have recent yeah a few years ago two three years ago the this guy shot a grizzly bear and it slid down a snow chute and died and they put it on online and it caused i don't know if you put, can you put i don't i'm not on twitter do you can you put pictures on twitter yeah okay so yeah. it caused a major twitter shitstorm, and that is like the is the reason that grizzly bear hunting is now outlawed in British Columbia. The one of the game management official guy that the head of whatever <laughs> their game management agency is there said like his quote was grizzly bear hunting is no longer politically tenable in British Columbia. So let me make sure I understand this. This person shot a grizzly bear and it slid down. You said a snowshoot? Yeah. I haven't seen What is it. a snowshoot? Oh, just like maybe he was feeding on an avalanche shoot in the mountains. And okay. Was, yeah. So, and I haven't seen it. I, there's, I just read about it. There's an article about this in Outdoor Life. That that goes back to what I said earlier about that tweet where the guy said, "Should I post a shot?" Yeah, yeah. For what reason? For what reason would you post a video of this wounded bear sliding down this snow-covered bank? Yeah, yeah. It it and it's it's so rude to your fellow hunters. I I think. I mean. Why should we have to, why should people like you and me that go about our hunting, you know, off camera, why should we have to pay the consequences of stuff like that? You know? Yeah, that's a good example. That's a good example. 
So tell me a little bit about your writing. Well, I do uh, the outdoor writing. I do a lot of it's for Pennsylvania Outdoor News, and it's some uh, I cover outdoor news topics like game commission passes something. I'll do a story on it, but also also do a column every two weeks. And that's been a lot of fun. I've done that for quite a few years because I can talk about issues like you and I are talking about now in my column. And I get a lot of times where hunters are incensed with my opinions. And I get a lot of times where they're cheering me on. Oh, oh yeah. Give me some, uh, give me some examples. <laughs> like where, what's a controversial stance you had? Well, a controversial stance I had recently is I wrote a column. Our wild turkey population is declining in the state, according to the Game Commission. And I wrote a column saying that they need to cut back on the spring gobbler season. And that upset a lot of spring gobbler hunters because spring gobbler hunting is second to deer hunting in pennsylvania is pennsylvania like michigan where in the sense that when i was growing up there as a kid you never saw a turkey and now they're every well not maybe in pennsylvania they're not everywhere if numbers are declining but like were they yeah, around that, when you were a kid not nearly as many as there are today that, that's what you said is accurate for pa too okay could you buy a uh, could you buy an over-the-counter ta turkey tag when you were a kid? Uh, it came with your hunting license, your general hunting license. Okay. So but now, yes. you, yeah. So yes, but now you could buy a second turkey gobbler tag. Okay. To use in the spring season. So why? Uh, uh, I mean, it's, I wouldn't think that killing toms would have an effect on the population size. Tell me where I'm wrong about that. Okay. The reason why I feel why it does is one, just for what you said, you're killing toms, so you're killing turkeys, you're removing turkeys okay. out of the population. I mean, okay. it's not as impactful as killing a hen. Obviously. Wait, what were you advocating for? Like fewer tags, or just you could only get one tag or a draw? Fewer tags and eliminate the all day hunting. Okay. That can have Wait, you can season. get two tags? You can get two tags. Okay. And you can and hunt all day. Okay. Uh, for the last two weeks of the season. And the reason what why I have. What are the about the earlier in the season? You can only hunt till noon or something? Till noon. Oh, okay. Till noon. Uh, the reason why I feel those parts of the gobbler season are impacting the population is it increases the likelihood for nest disturbance of nesting hens. Oh. Once, once those hens are kicked off their nest, they're vulnerable to predators. And they are also, uh, you're also increasing the possibility they don't come back oh, at all. They're too the freaked disturbing. out to go back after. Yeah. Yeah. And our own game commission said predation uh, on turkeys is a problem because our coyote numbers have exploded. Okay. So if, if those hens are on their nest, they got to clutch eggs under them. We should be doing everything we can to limit disturbance during that time of the year in the woods. 
Mm-hmm. We that's how you protect your resource. You protect the hens that are on the eggs. And when you have gobbler hunters out there for the entire day, you're increasing the likelihood that nest disturbance is going to occur. Uh, when you have gobbler hunters that can get a second tag after they shoot their first bird and keep hunting, you're increasing the likelihood of nest disturbance just by keeping the activity out there. Uh, I gobbler hunt. I love it. One, I'm done. I don't need a second gobbler. Mm -hmm. And I think we could all sit on the sidelines a little bit, shoot your gobbler. Don't hunt all day. Don't go for a second one. Be happy with that. Go help your body. Go help your body. Or that. Yeah. 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 So how, so, uh, yeah. How conclusive are the data that, that the numbers are going down? Uh, they base it on poult recruitment. They do surveys, game wardens do surveys and biologists. And I don't know what the percentage is, but every year when the game commission puts out a turkey news release, they, they say the, uh, recruitment's been for wet spring or what have you, uh, and numbers are, are declining. Our turkey harvests are some of the lowest they've been in eight, 10 years, maybe now. Okay. I, you know what? I just had a, I just had a genius stroke for you. Here's what you need to propose to the game commission. You get one Turkey tag. And once you get that filled, you only get your second one. If you produce a coyote carcass. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Does it have to be a fresh coyote carcass? <laughs> yeah, I haven't worked out. I haven't worked out the fine points yet. <laughs> that might be uh, something they would go for because there was talk in the state legislature here of enacting a coyote bounty. Mm, we'll see. And then also, they're so high on opportunity. It's like there's some opportunity. Plus, yeah. you don't have to pay out a coyote bounty. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, all right. Give me one more controversial one. One more controversial one. Well, we talked about the Saturday opener. This is something that you're probably going to disagree with me on. And dude, there is nobody. And I mean, nobody that I'm in lockstep with. Well, I think it's okay to agree to disagree. Yeah. 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 So if people can't do that with me, then I am in big trouble. (laughs) Because <laughs> I have a minority viewpoint on this stuff. There, there was a time when our state legislature was drafting legislation to be voted on to uh, expand Sunday hunting in the state. Before that, you could only hunt foxes, crows, and uh, woodchucks on Sunday in Pennsylvania and coyotes. Uh, I opposed Sunday hunting as a hunter. I said, even though I like to hunt, I don't want Sunday hunting. Here's why. And I had, I could tell you some real good stories on this one. I had, uh, sportsmen's groups up in arms, hunters up in arms. Uh, people were livid that me as a hunter would not want Sunday hunting. Mm-hmm. And my reasons for, 
I don't think in a state with nearly 1 million licensed hunters, so much public land, so much resource, I don't think our resource could withstand another high participation day like Sunday. Oh, I thought it was just too much. Uh, And I said to everybody who argued this with me, I said, if you could show me how Sunday hunting would benefit the resource, I'll support it 100%. I don't want to hear how it benefits you. Show me how it benefits the resource. Resource first, right? That's the motto. Yeah. I just uh, had another I just had another master stroke. You should have it be that you either have either hunt on Saturday or Sunday. You can't take both. Yeah. Meaning that one. Are you talking for the rifle deer season? Whatever season you're talking about. Like I you said there's only a handful of things you could hunt on Sunday and they're non-game animals. So uh if if you they wanted to make it so you could did they make it so you can hunt on sunday yeah what they did they added three sundays that the game commission could allot for certain seasons oh what do they allot them for the uh right rifle deer season rifle bear season and uh, there's one in um, archery. Oh, okay. During the rut. I see. But but there's bills in, in the state house now to expand it from three to unlimited. Oh, okay. Give the so, game commission. The no, I'm on your side with that. I'm on your side with that. I would be like, sweet. I'm going to work. I'm going to go into work on Sunday. And then just have it all to myself on monday then but don't you think that we're getting this mentality this is another controversial one i I wrote but uh we're getting this mentality as hunters i want i want i want i i have to work monday through friday so give me saturday hunting and sunday hunting uh my kid wants you know i want to take my kid hunting give me a special season I like venison, increase the doe license allocation. I don't want to get out of my stand after I shoot one deer. I want to shoot six deer from my stand before I have to get out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Everything's like, we want this, we want that. What about the resource? What about conservation? Yeah. We're supposed to be conservationists. Yeah, this is a really cool discussion because, I mean, the, the fights we're having out here are not those fights. But I, I got to think that there's other Midwestern states that are like that, too, where everybody's just like, how can I get more? How can I get more? Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. You can't what, keep taking. Yeah. What about the resource? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you. Maybe that's one good thing about out here or there. There's a lot of hunting personalities out here that really advocate for doing the right thing with the resource in terms of con- conservation. That that it's kind of there's a conservation aesthetic, a conservation mindset out here. So maybe that's why I don't see that 
here as much as you are of everybody just lobbying to try to make it easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. It, it, it gets, it's just, it, it's exhausting. Uh, hunting se- deer, rifle deer season out here. I'll give you a quick example. Where my farm is, we have small woodlots between all the farms. Uh-huh. And that's where the deer are. They come out and feed at night going woodlots. During the rifle deer season, you get gangs of hunters that every day, pretty much every day for the whole two-week season, they go from woodlot to woodlot to woodlot, just putting drives on every day. And these are people that have permission to hunt the woodlots. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they're not the woodlots aren't public. No, but a lot of it's not posted. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of it isn't posted. Oh, I would have thought that that stuff would be the private land where in in farm country in Pennsylvania would be that you'd get, you'd quickly get prosecuted if you went on it without permission. There's places like that, but out here where deer deer are a problem, um, they don't post. Okay. They don't post or it's hunting by permission only, which please knock on my door. Let me know you're here. Okay. Wow. I can't believe it's that le- that loose. I would have thought it'd be just all leased up and red frick or, you know, no trespassing signs on every tree. That, that, that does exist. It, this isn't statewide. It's just in the areas where farmers are sick of deer. Okay. Um, in the mountains, it's things are posted solid. Okay. Huh. Uh, and that's where the lease pressure is too. I see. But man, I'm coming out to your neck of the woods. So. <laughs> I, I, we got some big bucks. We, we really do. Mm. But the, the thing that I, I find exhausting about the rifle deer season and I love rifle deer season. That's my big season. I mm-hmm. love it. But every day, you got this hunting pressure. You got shots. Um, you got hunters all over the place. It's just all right already enough. Let's just now we got Sunday. Now we have Saturdays. Yeah. And you more, have more, more. the non-hunters. They're getting tired. They're like I can't even go out and walk my dog without worrying about bulls flying around. And I'm sounding like an anti-hunter by saying this, but. You know, enough's enough. We have our time. Let's just be happy with what we have and give everybody else their time too. Man, I think you've established your hunting bona fides. You're you're obviously just someone that's trying that's very passionate about hunting that's just trying to do the right thing. So you don't sound like an anti-hunter to me at all. Oh uh, yeah. I, I I just I'm concerned that. Uh, and you said this before too. Hunters are their own worst enemy. Uh, when you keep wanting, that's another way that your own your your own worst enemy. You got to consider the non-hunters in the state and what their thoughts and opinions are too. Yeah, you can't alienate them. Yeah, yeah. The Pennsylvania has got to 
prioritize the quality of the experience a little bit and not so much the quantity, it sounds like to me. Uh, did, did you shoot something the first time, first very first time you hunted? Were you successful? Oh, hell no. Hell but you no. stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, so I shot, I didn't, well, I'm not going to tell you when I started hunting. Uh, do you think you get a, if I said, if I said I did something illegal when I was 10, could I get prosecuted now? Here's That's like statute a, of limitations, right? Yeah. It's uh, expired by now. Man, I don't know if I want to play with fire or not. Like, what's the point, I'm telling you? But I started hunting very, very young and shot a couple does with my bow. And I don't think I shot. Yeah, I did not shoot a buck at all. And when I did, it was, I didn't shoot a buck until I was 19. And that was with a rifle. Yeah. So eight years, no, eight, seven legal years of hunting before I harvested a buck. Do you like the word harvest or do you say kill? Because I see online people get, people don't like harvest. I, I use harvest when I write a lot. Yeah, I don't give a shit one way or another, but for some reason it drives some people nip, uh, bananas. I, I then just, I catch myself saying harvest and I'm like, no, that's not the right word. Use kill because people don't like harvest. And then I'm like, why are you, why do you care what, you know? So yeah, I was, I was 19 when I got my first antlered <laughs> animal, but and like it took you seven years. Yeah. There, there, if you didn't get a, a buck on opening day, it wasn't a matter of just like, Oh, you need to hunt harder. You need to hunt harder. Now. It was like, there were none there. There were none left, you know? So you can hunt as hard as you want. They they didn't exist in the state anymore until the next year. <laughs> but despite all that, there was something about hunting that made you stick with it for seven years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. My brothers and I all just were captivated by it from very young age. You know, I don't. I don't think I, I, I couldn't, there's no way I could not hunt. I just, it's just the core part of my existence. Even if, even if it became illegal or there was no place to do it, I'd poach at that point. <laughs> like the, the idea that I would give up is just not. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, so I, I would I, put I, up with some pretty shitty hunting before I gave, gave up hunting. We'll come out, come out to Pennsylvania and hunt on the game lands outside of Philadelphia. Oh, no, I'm going to come on you. I'm going to bang, bang on your door and go out back and shoot me a big one. <laughs> big soy, soybean fed buck. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, anything else you want <clears throat> to chit chat about? I feel like this podcast was a slow starter. And then it, then I felt like it it would got interesting, like as the conversation went on. I think it's because we didn't know each other at all, you know. 
I, yeah, no, it's I, I enjoyed it. Um, like, like I said, you, you caught my attention with your opinion, and I, I know it's controversial in the big picture and everything, but I give you well, a lot of talk- credit. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I really do because you, you're speaking up for what you feel is right and what you feel is best for the sport, and I think everybody should respect that standpoint alone. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the support. I I need it. There's like the temptation to to quit this nonsense is is very strong. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it going for a while, but I I would be lying if I if I said that it was easy. It's 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 not. I don't understand how in the world I'm controversial. Like showing complete strangers like harvested game and game in the process of being harvested, using the H word again, that's not controversial. Dudes that have 300, 400, over a million followers that post way more dead game than that they could per year than they could ever eat. That's not controversial. That's the hypocrisy of this whole situation that you're exposing. Yeah. But didn't you get accused of being controversial? Oh, yeah. Because I think that's why, how I found your first piece i think the first piece i read was either the hunting social on social media photo that, stuff or yeah. or the three r's yeah i got i got i got dealt the race card with that one with the with the r3 article the right oh really oh yeah yo that what with that one it was like disaffected groups or underrepresented underrepresented hunting you know and this guy is uh so this guy must be a racist or racially insensitive because he's not trying to um r3 disincentivize groups minorities etc into hunting i've uh, since i've since come to realize that or come to the belief that that R3 and because I put R3 hunting TV and hunting social media all in the advertising bucket. They it's hunting promotion. Yeah. And hunting promotion increases leasing. Yeah. And increases. Yeah. That's a big one. Increases leasing by, by individuals or by outfitters and it increases the number of people that just buy up hunting land. So I think that has a disproportionately negative effect on, if you look at the pay gap on, on disaffected groups, like minorities. That's a good point. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that R3 is bringing a, is diversifying, going to diversify the hunting community over time. I think it's just going to make it more, of a of a white male rich guy thing um 
I, I saw something in, in that, their uh, face, in their face for, for for putting that on me. I spit on that. I spit on the idea that I don't blame you. I I'd be pissed about that. It, yeah, that, that, that's a cheap attack. And then uh, yeah, there's but and then you know I I I would. I wrote, I've wrote my other than now recording a few podcasts and starting a, a website that less than a hundred people have looked at. Those two articles were are the sum total of my going public with my views on hunting, other than maybe being on my brother's some of my brother's stuff. So I was just curious how the articles were hitting people, like what they were thinking. And then I just and I got on some hunt forums. And man, some people loved it and that, but they didn't, that doesn't matter to me. What mattered is the people that were just hating on me. Like I'm a pretty sensitive person, you know? So the nice thing about this podcast is, um, well, I guess they could talk about it on a hunt forum someday, Matt Reynolds podcast, but I am just thoroughly committed to not looking at comments online. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's you, you got to have a thick skin if you're going to put put yourself out there. Yeah, or a thick skin, or just be just be blind to the bullshit, like not even subject yourself to it. And that's got to be what I do, or I'm gonna because I'm not the most emotionally stable person. Like I'm, it it, it impacted me big time. You know, like when some, somebody says something negative about me, God, I really think that they're right onto something. You know, and sometimes they probably are, but not not the stuff you read online. Well, I, I'll tell you what, it takes guts, and I know this from what I do, and uh, you've done it. It takes guts to put you expose yourself, put your opinion out there for the world to see, especially when it's not the popular opinion, so to speak. Yeah, but you feel strong about it, and you want to explain why takes guts to do that because you're you are opening yourself up you're going against the norm yeah but i I think there's a there's a right way to do that and you you do that by you don't make it a personal attack against any person or group it's nothing personal right this is how i feel and i'm not saying you're a jerk i'm saying you're wrong and this is why yeah there's a difference yeah i i uh that's good advice that's a good that's good advice because there maybe i should take the part down of my bullets where i say you should shame people on so hunting social media maybe that's like too far what do you think shame yeah because i say you say unfollow i say shame and unfollow i i'll stand by the unfollow but maybe i should get rid of the shame because I don't think I, I I I think hunting would be way better off if um the hunting influencers went away and if people that make you know make money and get sponsors by putting dead game online if they went away I so I I'll stand behind that one but maybe the shaming one is not is a little immature and it's not like like you say the posture should be. I respect you. I just disagree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, well, if 
if uh, you don't mind, I'm getting pretty hungry. So I'm going to peace out. But people have been, when I say that and I stop the recording, they just leave before I get the chance to like talk to them off, off air for a minute. So if you wouldn't mind, hang on for a second. Sure. All right. Well, um, let me say that I really appreciate you coming on. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it and uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you and rethinking the way uh, we approach our sports. Yeah, it's an important 